Hello and welcome. This is the Beat from Scratch with veteran Ugun Sinachi. This podcast gives you entry-level knowledge with the highest level of simplicity for very sophisticated debate materials. This podcast grants you access to understanding complex debate principles, to understanding complex debate formats, and it brings it all to a very basic level of communication. So join me as I welcome you into the classroom of analysis, logic, and debates every Saturday here on this podcast. A lot of people have said that, you know, in BP debates, that adjudication is just the role of adjudicators. I beg to differ in that regard because I believe that adjudication is not a role but a tool. I never really began to understand how to improve myself and whatever material I needed to improve in my speech until I started learning to view the debate through the lens of an adjudicator. You see? For a whip speech tries to emulate adjudication, but to get it right, you have to understand the nitty-gritties of adjudication. So adjudication is really a very beautiful thing to consider because it is a metric by which the debate is judged and is the metric through which the debate is viewed, either relevant or irrelevant. This class purpose is to provide clarity into something that is not quite as mystical as people would have you believe, the art of adjudicating. In this class, we will highlight various considerations to make when scoring, as well as when ranking teams in a debate. This guide has been made with reference to standards that are employed at the World Universities Debate Championship and every standardized BP championship all around the planet. So, like I said earlier, going into the process of adjudication, in a BP tournament, when you're done with your speech, your judges will have to evaluate your speech. At that time, you are not allowed to be in the room. They will ask you to kindly leave the room so you give them the opportunities to deliberate over everything that you have said so far in the room. During this time, they are going to sink in to rehash what they felt at each instance that was the most controversial issue, the most relevant issues, and who won what kinds of controversies. So it's going to be really, really um, tough for them as judges to set you up. Usually, it takes around 15 minutes. It is advised that that process takes around 15 minutes to complete. But sometimes, and oftentimes, it exceeds 15 minutes, and it could be for a number of reasons. I'm going to be breaking down the process of adjudication to you in little bits. So first off, in this class, you're all adjudicators, okay? So I need you to assume that in your mind. Not just a debater, you're also an adjudicator. This will help you because you would have certain times you have to other people. You have people under you who need to understand what they have done right or wrong in a debate. And you will need a good compass through which to view the debate. All of this would only be achieved 
if you are able to see through the lens of the adjudicator. Ladies and gentlemen, I present that lens to you. Lens step one, approaching a debate. It is natural to have views and opinions about emotion and the issues it raises. A key aspect of good adjudication is not to allow your personal views to affect your ability to judge the debate in an impartial and unbiased manner. Another golden rule about approaching adjudication is to judge the debate that actually happens, the debate you think should take place, or the debate that happened in your head while the speakers were speaking. This stems from the fact that when debate happens, many times we tend to subconsciously take a side in our heads. We tend to subconsciously think of arguments as well. Because we are an intelligent species, that happens. As an adjudicator, you are expected to drop all biases of the motion. As an adjudicator, you are expected to focus solely on the debate that is happening in front of you, as it is happening in front of you. Adjudicators should treat each debate with the same degree of seriousness and attentiveness, and should arrive at the, each debate with the same degree of um, seriousness to ensure that they arrive as promptly as possible. There are many tournaments that eventually have challenges with speakers or judges, and therefore they stall the tournament. When this happens, it, is, it doesn't cast the adjudicator in flattering light. We should ensure in all that we do to avoid this kind of error. Okay? The chair must ensure that all speakers and panelists are present and that the debate starts on time and that the timekeeper has been selected. During a debate, lens two, behavior. As a judge, you should treat each debate with the same degree of seriousness and attentiveness. It is unacceptable to appear uninterested in the debate or a speaker, even if you truly are uninterested. Arrive at your debate venue promptly, and if you are the chair, ensure that all speaker and panelists are present. It is your duty as a chair to start the debate timelessly. That's on time. It is vital that you judge, that as a judge, you judge the debate and behave professionally at times. Duties of the chair. The chair of the panel with him, with managing the debate, which entails calling upon speakers to present their speeches, maintaining order during the debate. They need to call the house to order so that the debate may begin by ensuring that the seated speakers do not get disruptive during a speech and that they remain consensuous of the procedures and the protected time periods before calling upon the next speaker. The chair is also supposed to give a fellow panelist reasonable amount of time to complete their notes before the next speaker assumes the stage. Note-taking. The notes taken during the debate should be detailed, you know, descriptive, it should be viable in its um, ability to recall 
the speech of the speaker. Okay? It should allow an adjudicator to remember what was said during the debate to add oral justification. Judges are not expected to write everything down, but you know, notes should cover the important point of the speech. Bullet points are a good way of recording the debate, so don't bother writing full sentences, okay? It is very, very important. After the debate begins. So now, this is at this point, at this lens point, um, after the debate is done, rather, the judge is supposed to make his initial call. So if you're a judge in the room, once the debate is done and the speakers are leaving the room, in fact, within the time it takes for the chair to announce that the debaters may now leave the room so that you can deliberate and provide a reasonable result, within that time, your job is to come up with an initial ranking. An initial ranking reflects who you thought would come first, second, third, and fourth. It is not an automatic... Um, it's not an automatic outlook that you would eventually have your, uh, your ranking be the overall ranking at the end of the debate. Okay, so, and it's not bad that you change your ranking from your initial ranking. These things do happen. Okay, and for good reason you should. So, as a chair of the room, or as a judge in the room, as an adjudicator, your role would be to ensure that while you are at work, or while the chair is sending the debaters out, you've already generated your initial call for the debate, which could change. Okay? Each educator should make an initial decision of the rankings of the teams from first to fourth in their own minds before any deliberation begins. Usually, the chair will reserve a few minutes for all educators to complete their notes and arrive at a decision before the deliberation begins. So, the main Coco is the deliberation. And I think this is where I want to zoom in for you guys because as speakers over time, we've had challenges with the outcome of deliberations. You know, how, how could some very viable materials that we presented turn out to either lose its value or turn out to uh, be reinterpreted or, or uh, on on the mind throughout the speech. You know, they are trying to leave the room and you know that, oh, we won this debate. And then during the justification, they're like, nope, you didn't. It is a very tough one for speakers to deal with. And, you know, if you're ever in that kind of position, uh, you could feel free to reach out for help. I mean, for the sake of your mental health, it is fair that you do reach out for help. But I figure that what has, what has worked out for me over time has simply been separating myself from the outcome of my work. Right. So I do not assume that the outcome of my work defines me as a person. Art is subjective, and people will describe art in any way that suits them. So it's, it has a subjective definition. And I think it's really important for you to understand that people's judgment of your art does not mean a judgment of your life. It is important that you note that particularly. So, in the deliberation, in the deliberation, the deliberation is a discussion between all adjudicators, and this discussion is facilitated by the chair. It should look to A, 
identify areas of agreement and disagreement between the adjudicators. The deliberation should be decide on what the key issues were in the debate and which teams raised the best arguments about these issues. The deliberation is also supposed to evaluate teams comparatively on the basis of their overall contributions to the debate. Right? D, the deliberation should aim to arrive at a consensus, hopefully. And then decisions on the rankings of team in the debate should also happen during deliberations. Remember, it is totally acceptable to change your initial call in the deliberation process. It is strength rather than a weakness to listen to good points raised by your fellow adjudicators and shift from your original position. The deliberation should take around 10 to 15 minutes. If everyone has exactly the same rankings, then have a brief discussion to ensure that the rankings are the same for the same or for similar reasons. If all of the adjudicators except for one holds the same outcome, that judge that has the minority should defend his or her position and then the majority should be open to changing their positions if there is need to. If there is similarity in rankings mixed with some, mixed with some crucial differences, adjudicators should consolidate the consensus that exists and use that to break down dread deadlocks. If there is no similarity between the rankings, discuss all of the teams from opening government to closing opposition and discuss how they performed relatively to each other to find some level of common understanding. After this brief discussion, rank the teams and compare again. Vote if there is still a deadlock. This is what I'm going to do for you guys. Usually, it is tough to separate a team from first to fourth. And I know, you know, some adjudicators seem to do it seamlessly. But it is not an easy thing to achieve. And it's something you must notice. As a debater, it is a tough thing to assume that, you know, your judges must always see through your lens. And it's why you have your debate time. It's why you have your... your um, time and your speech time to reflect on how best to present your material so that your lens become a valid lens through which to see the debate. It is not the job of the judge to interpret your speech for you. I mean, as, as much as we would like that to happen, that, that is not going to happen. No good judge gets to interpret your speech for you. It is unfair and it is um, impracticable for a judge to do that. It is not professional. So, usually, if you are in a messy room where everybody has different scores, different rankings as a judge, your duty is to ensure that, you know, we look for a metric by which we can joint-handedly separate first from fourth, and so on and so forth. If there are some agreements, like for instance, if say I'm in a panel of three and um, two people agree that first should go to, I don't know, CG, closing government, for instance, and I said maybe opening government won that and they should have first as the chair. What this means, good practice is I have to reach out to them and be like, okay, let me explain why I think, because I'm now in the minority. Let me think these guys um, come above your first. Like, why OG comes above CG? Opening, I believe, 
brought the bulk of these arguments for. I mean, assuming that's the reason. Opening government said in press speech, if I'm good, said this, this is what he said. He said that the life of a man does not consist and that the needs of man are necessary and the sole purpose of man in actualizing, in self-actualizing is in meeting his immediate needs. And if he doesn't, angle of self-actualization. It is that same material that the closing uses to say, feel that the, the right to flourish belongs to all individuals and that if you can flourish on a personal level, then you have achieved the highest satisfaction that is necessary and as such um to achieve it then selfishness should be that metric assuming the motion says this house prefers selfishness closing deed was a rebranding of what opening did so this idea that won it for you guys did not come originally from closing and then even when it came at closing we already understood it at opening it was sufficiently there was no new thing there was no new nuance they just repackaged the whole argument in good words and without. So now do you see how, from my own point, my own side as the minority educator, I have done that. And once I do that, I'll tell the other judges, okay, so I think that, you know, these guys are first in this debate, that there is CG over OG. Um, the other judges might say, oh, yeah, I see, I see with you. That is, that is true. That is true. Oh, yeah. Okay, we concede with you. Okay, go on. Um, fine. OG, then CG. CG second, OG first. Assuming the contention now is between first and second. Then, um, the other scenario could play out is that they could be like, oh, no, no, no. It is true. That's when your other judges were in the majority. It is true that these guys repackaged a lot of the arguments they brought from the opening. But I don't think we should judge without looking into some other contributions that they brought that we felt was more sensitive to repackage all that opening had brought because it formed the basis for the action. So in the new, they listed this, listed this, listed that, listed And we felt that this was, these were all new contributions that weighted more than what the opening had brought. Yes, the opening did set a fantastic premise and it is a sad to not see them come first because I saw how hard they tried. But the closing in materials did not just stop there. They extended the debate further and the bulk of extensions we got were weightier than, than examples of this when the member of government said this, when the member of um, government also said, this, said that for which his whip also responded because we had it from the other side that was this XYZ. And so they go through that back and forth. It's See that the kind of conversation that goes on during a deliberation process. So I think understanding that will help you see how you know debates evolve in a room. So let's say we they finally do that, and I concede with them that oh okay okay yeah yeah true true it's fine. So CG is first, right? And we'll now look for maybe what's the next strongest team in this debate, and why were they the next strongest team? There are many metrics. There are many ways. It might not be was the next strongest team. It might be, okay, these were the key issues in the debate. So which teams engage mostly with these issues and which team won that engagement? This could be a viable metric to decide. Just know that there are many metrics. 
And this class might not be exhaustive in covering all the metrics in which to decide who, which team wins a debate or not. But just know that these metrics exist and that the judge's role is to find that metric to separate first from fourth. Because no debate can be truly complete until we have had that metric. Okay? Fine. So the judge is supposed to evaluate teams comparatively. As I mentioned earlier, when differentiating between first, second, third, and fourth, judges would all, should always evaluate teams against one another and consider in order of importance. Argumentation, you know, what arguments the team raised and how compelling were those arguments. Responsiveness, um, how a team responded to opposition arguments and rebuttal of their own positive matter. Strategy, where the most important points raised first and how a point of information was utilized. And style, how persuasive were the speakers, were their speeches well-structured. Okay? So, um... Speaker scores. Following this process of ranking teams, the adjudication panel must give each individual speaker a score. The team's total score must correlate with the position given. Okay? For instance, like, teams that came fourth will not have a cumulative point that is higher than the teams that came first or third or second. So the cumulative points will differentiate first from fourth. Following this process of ranking teams, the adjudication panel must give each individual speaker score. The team total score must correlate with the position given to the team. That is, there's, there are not going to be any low point wins. Also, note that because the total team score is used to place teams, a particular speaker from a losing team can score higher than a speaker from a team placed ahead of them. All that is required is that the partner score compensates for that positioning. So, for instance, if an 80 speaker, if a speaker who had 80 speech, like a very good speaker, was in the team that came fourth, right? While that speaker might still retain their score as an 80, the teammate who was the poorer speaker, who we would assume was the reason for which that team placed poorly, would have to take the fall as well. And their score would be, the teammate score would become so low that they would still rank fourth despite that there is a high ranking speaker in that team. The chair maintains order during the debate. The chair facilitates the deliberation. The chair presents the oral feedback. Okay, so the chair might not present the oral feedback in the case where the chair has been rolled. And this is how ruling happens, right? So when you're, when, we cannot arrive at a conclusive um, at a conclusive point during deliberation. We are forced, okay? We are forced eventually into voting. If we are forced into voting, what will happen is sometimes the chair might be outvoted. When this happens, one of the panelists who has, you know, if the chair is in the minority and that vote, vote was cast, the uh, room's result, the fashion that came up as a vote, is not in, was not you know in favor of the rankings of. As long as the chair cannot justify that round, then somebody else must justify. Be amongst the people said, so somebody in the majority has to justify. So that's the only time when would not be presented by the chair in the room. Okay. These are some of the things the chair should remember. The chair, as 
ask your panelists to disclose their rankings at the start of the, the deliberation. What this does is that you can also write it down, and I advise strongly that you have a table where you write, okay, chair, you write your rankings. Other panelists, you know, they write their, their, their rankings down to the trainee judge. You're going to need it to help you know whose decision is um, moving and which decision is static and, you know, what everybody has decided collectively. Don't be, um, as a chair, analyze your decision with your panelists, even if there is consensus. So the fact that you say, oh, give us your initial ranking and everybody gives you their initial ranking and their initial ranking is the same thing with you, it does not mean that that ends the debate. I mean, that is a good scenario. But you still have to go forward to discuss it with your teammate, your um, panelists, rather, to ensure that it is together for the same reasons or for similar reasons. Okay, because this adjudication panel helps train even the trainee judges, and it's why we have trainee judges. Um, if you are to start out adjudication newly, you might most likely be put in the position of a trainee judge. So, as a trainee judge, what happens is while you might not be allowed to vote, right but every other of your contribution is valid so it's like you're a trainee you're learning you're studying on the panel you could also be put despite your years of experience in adjudication you could also be put as a trainee panelist if um you did not take the adjudicator's test for a tournament or you took a test and you didn't pass the adjudicator's test and oh yes there is such a thing as adjudicator's test in the tournament that enables us to know who gets to chair round one of the tournament and then from that point on, the feedbacks that I got in from the room would um, create the advancement. Okay? As a chair, attempt to reach a decision about 12 minutes into a discussion. So by 12 minutes into that discussion, you guys have already agreed everything. If consensus cannot be reached, take the decision to a vote. Okay? Then methodically factor your scoring. So either start scoring when you're giving speaker scores, start from either the weakest team or the strongest team in the debate. That's the winning team or the losing team, right? The role of panelists. Panelists are supposed to participate meaningfully in the post-debate deliberation. As a panelist, don't be afraid to challenge the opinions of others on the panel, but also do that justifiably. Okay, have justifications. If you agree with members of the panel, Substantiate. If you do not agree, justify. Do not be antagonistic. The deliberation is a discussion, not a debate. Also, be open to listening, be open to persuade, and be open to be persuaded as a panelist. Then, let's go to rolling. The idea of rolling a chair. I just, I just um, um, told you that. Rolling is when the chair is outvoted, right? The chair can defer oral feedback duties to a judge who voted in the majority. Being rolled is not an indictment on your judging or chairing abilities. Rolling your chair is not an indication of superior judging abilities. Justify adequately why you have disagreed with the chair and do not rank panelists poorly or solely because you have been rolled or voted against. Because there will be such a thing as a judge's feedback. So, you see, in a tournament, usually, you know that there are feedback for... Um, team on chair, right? Where your team says, oh, this chair 
it gave us excellent feedback it was insightful we liked the fact that we got to learn some new things on how to carry on with our speech he taught us how to manage and strategically evolve as a team throughout this tournament he was supportive and so on you know nice feedback there's also a feedback amongst chairs so that when you're done when the whole debate is done they have to submit that feedback as well to the tab room so the chair the the the, the chair gets feedback from all his panelists so all his panelists will give feedback on the chair, on their paper. And the chair gives feedback about all the other panelists. That way, the CAP gets to see a holistic view on what happened during the um, adjudication process because it will be reflected in the way the feedbacks come. If everything went well and smoothly, everybody has nice feedback. If everything went terribly, everybody has terrible feedbacks. If teams were dissatisfied and then the judges felt that everything was good, then it's going to be easy for CAP when they look at that room to realize that certain agitations that are coming from the feedbacks um, should not be given so much weight. If there were disagreements among the teams and disagreements among the judges, then it becomes a very serious issue that the core education panel has to look into. Sometimes the issue might escalate to equity. So you see how, you know, the system is set up in such a way that you could monitor the system, you could weigh the system, and you could do checks and balances. on the system this is very important especially if you're going to con consider um handling the position of cap or consider looking at what that position entails and their roles right cool so do not rank your panels poorly do not give them poor feedback because you've been enrolled that's unfair that's like very petty then this is one very key thing listen any goat can rank from first to fourth in a speech cells from face to fourth if you are a judge Ability to rank is not your highest ability. It might be one of your highest duties, but it's not your highest ability, right? Your highest ability or the display of your highest is in your oral adjudication or oral feedback, where you have to tell the teams why you ranked them the way you did. You see, you must give your results. A lot of people will want to listen to what the results are. Besides, it's unfair to say, uh, Team OG, we felt you were this, that, that, that. You, you praise them, you, um, you know, with them a bit. After all of that, you give if a ranking that doesn't make sense. People should be able to first, second, third, and fourth, so that when you're giving that ranking, they get to understand why that ranking is so. You cannot say is so without us seeing the ranking if that doesn't happen it doesn't debaters are not going to be pleased they'll be pissed at your metric judges do that to create suspense listen you are not a movie you are an adjudicator your job this is the result this is how we arrived at the result okay and so this is what I, I advise. I advise best way for you to handle it. It is really important that you do that. Okay. Secondly, as an adjudicator, give an overview of issues that came up in the debate. So, for instance, because that's this is where you hear most judges say, "We think this debate, like this room, had an average above-average debate." Right. The issues that came up were not totally basic. They had their roots. They had. They were deep rooted in deep, deeply rooted in philosophy. Um, I liked the concept of um, 
paternalism in the way it was synthesized. I like the fact that, you know, people were struggling on whether um, the debates became about whether privacy should be a privilege or a right, right? Should, be a, should privacy be a privilege for good citizens or a right for owns? And I think that, you know, it really moved this debate forward and enabled us to see of what constitutes rights and what should constitute privileges. And enjoyed it personally because at the point where all the teams were speaking, you know, I took some personal lessons myself. You know, I had never really thought about the dichotomy between rights and privileges when it comes to privacy. I always felt that, you know, privacy is... And we should have to deal with privacy just as it is. But the thing is, how do we deal with privacy? And that was a philosophical question that was answered in this round. And I really appreciate it. You know, it means that we are evolving as debaters. We are thinking beyond what the norms are. We are able to challenge the status quo or at least comprehend why the status quo should remain and so on and so forth. So you see, when you do this, debaters know that, oh, okay, our job was seen. Like the judges sees us. You see them for the contributions that they make. And be sincere. I, I always think like you cannot be a good adjudicator if you are a very um I don't want to use the word pranky, but if you're a conning person, it'll be tough for you to be to appear sincere in giving oral feedback. Oral feedback should be delivered in the calmest, coolest, and most sincere form. In fact, Oral feedback, good oral feedback should, re should reflect the vulnerability of the judge himself. Don't be shy to say, you know what, I never even knew that, you know, privacy was something we could debate on or whether it, has, whether it was a right or a privilege. I always thought that privacy was. I've never even thought about this. So I felt it was really fantastic. Like, I am learning. And this is great. Thank you, guys. That engagement was a wonderful one. You know, and it came from uh, the opening of the debate. So, you know, you could imagine if this was the kind of content we're getting at the opening, imagine what happened when the debate evolved down. So at the end of the day, everyone on the panel, we were mentally stimulated. We learned so much. We enjoyed judging you guys. But anyways, as all debates go, we must have a first, second, third, and fourth. And our job is not just to enjoy your speech. But even though that is part of our job description, the, the point we love the most, we also have the job of doing that differentiation. So I'm going to now go into the rankings. Do you get, when you do this, you recognize issues in the debate. You show the debaters that, oh, listen, I am not perfect, but I have seen this. I have seen what you guys did. I have learned from it as well. And I am also going to do my role of you know, separating you guys, you know, so we learn from each other, we learn every day. You make them feel real important and you make their work feel uh, beautiful and they feel like, you know, they have done something great in debating within that round. Okay, it is not, it's not bad to be vulnerable and th th like that's the point I'm trying to make. Okay, it is not bad to be vulnerable even as a chair. Be vulnerable, be open, you know, People are just moving through life, trying to make sense out of life. So the psychology of adjudication, especially in giving of oral feedback, is be open. Next thing is explain how your panel arrived at the decision by discussing how the teams um, contributed to the debate and how 
this chord in their contributions. Okay? This is, this is very important. Explain how the panel arrived at the, the, by the, at the decision by discussing how teams engage the issues. Always explain things in comparative terms. That is how one team performed relatively to another team. Now, for me, for me, and this is a personal format, and I tell you, I've, I've won Best Adjudicator um, trophies, medals, plaques, you name it. And in the entire eight years of my active coaching career, I have um, trained a whole lot of best adjudicators down the, down the line. So what I figure that works best for people is if you start from the bottom and go to the top. For instance, you say, okay, team opening opposition, you came forth in today's debate. Why did we think you came forth? Why, what was that thing you know, that threw you off? Why do we think that of everybody in this debate, you were the farthest from this debate? We saw your contributions, and this was what made you relevant in the, in the debate. Your contributions when you said this, 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 this were relevant. But there were questions that were thrown to you right from OG's, OG. Your closing tried to answer those questions, and I'll come to them when I'm talking about their, their case. But you left those questions unanswered, like questions when, even in the uh, a point POI in your uh, leader of opposition speech, you were asked clearly, so how does this relate on a moral level? If you're trying to win this on a moral level, how do you have, you know, the highest moral legitimacy on this argument? You, you know, tried to answer it when you said this, but it, it wasn't, like, it just came up as a one-liner, and it, it wasn't something, we felt that the idea of a moral basis and winning moral legitimacy means you have to explain the moral principle. You didn't. Your closing tried to explain that when they said, um, this is what we did. Um, this is why we think that there is a moral legitimacy on our side. But then they couldn't even answer the question because what they went to for moral legitimacy happened to just be a mechanistic downpour, which um, closing government called them out on. You know? So you see, in this little instance, I have shown you how when you're weighing the teams, you say, okay, this was the contribution you brought. This is how the other team related to this contribution. This was the dynamics this other team brought to it. This is why your contribution stopped. It was either under-analyzed or this was sufficiently understood at this point. Then going forward, this was what happened. This was what happened. So they want to see the debate based on the issues they presented. They want to see the full movie. Each speaker can only see maybe their speech and maybe the speech before them. And if strong enough, sometimes the speech after them. Only a speaker should answer an adjudicator can see holistically the entire debate. If they are not able to see the entire debate on their own, it is the job of the person giving the oral feedback to ensure that they see the entire debate on their own. And these are some of the ways you do it. Take the team that came forth, say the things they did, say the things they did not do, say the things that the teams that did those things they did not do and why that, and why that team ranked above them. Show the team that ranked above that one and so on and so forth. So for instance now, if after the opening debate, opening opposition was winning the debate, we came to closing government, and closing government now won over opening opposition. Therefore, closing government has now won over the opening government by that metric. So you see how sometimes winning the debate might just be mean winning the strongest team in the room. And if you channel your energy like that, you would be, you would be most likely on your way to win like the most debates. Right? Please remember as a chair, be objective when giving feedback. Don't personalize the failings or failures of speakers. 
Be comprehensive and explain the main ideas and how they were weighted. Justify why teams ranked above or below each other. During individual feedback, do not become argumentative or defensive, you know. Try your best to limit oral adjudication to five minutes because um, you still have to go back and continue the tournament. So five minutes is like the ultimate time you should take. Then be prepared to dedicate time to give individual feedback to teams. And I will always plead with adjudicators. It is not enough to give individual feedback, right? Even during your adjudicators, your verbal or oral adjudication, you could try your best to suggest better team strategies. Some, team, some teams are really good teams, but sometimes the way they have their team synergy is out of place. Listen, you are not a good judge until your feedback implementation, like if people implement your feedback, they win the debates. They win debates going forward. That's how they get to appreciate you. That's how they get to think that, oh, this, this guy really helped us in the round. And I think this is one of the things that will help you in your overall feedback. But you cannot do that when you approach the debate from a God view, some God dust and some superiority complex. It will not work. But when kind and gentle and communicate to them, understanding that, yes, there has to be a winner, there has to be a loser in this round. It is your job to decide it, but you're going to make sure you decide it from the fairest of metric. There is a trust that they place in you and that is reflected in your feedback the feedback that they give to you and then that goes forward to translate into you advancing as a judge in the tournament so you see you have the best incentives to be the best judge the teams are going to rank you and it's true there are some teams that are unpacifiable you cannot placate what you do they are just angry that they came forth and that is okay okay do not kill yourself people who are not happy with the outcome of your work as an adjudicator. Just like debaters try to kill themselves sometimes because an adjudicator gave them feedback and they call that they do not think they deserved or that they failed around. You as an adjudicator, don't feel bad. You know, it happens and the CAP understands. So for for that came forth gives you a bad call or give you a bad score in your poorly as the team that came first. If the team that came first still gave you a bad score, then it's going to be a bad thing on your image. You have to do your job so well that, you know, even worst people to give you feedback or the, the, the people who are in the position of the worst form of feedback, the best feedback. And I've had that came forth were like, we know we came forth, but this took empathy in the delivery of the oral feedback this judge team strategy highlighting on our strengths and how best to utilize it. So those are the kind of feedback you should get to get that kind of feedback. Okay. So for scoring as a judge, basically, see, consider content, style, and strategy in relation to one another. There is no particular percentage allocated to each of these, you know, style, strategy, and uh, there's no particular, you know, say like 20 marks for style, 20 marks for strategy. No, there isn't. There is no particular percentage each of them separately. So you must be holistic. Before scoring, consider whether the debate was below, above, or just average to identify the appropriate scoring range. Then, for content, arguments and rebuttals should be weighed in terms of substance and logic. Examples should be relevant to the points being made, you know, 
both quantity and quality are valuable. However, fewer good arguments are often better than poorer ones. So if you have, you know, if the debates round was generally with poor arguments and you have people who had fewer good arguments, of course, credit them above others. For style, style pertains to the manner in which the speech is presented. So you focus, they focus on style as a means of persuasion and emphasis rather than minor mannerisms that may have irked you. See, mark down people if they have their stylistic habits that severely hamper the quality of speech or of an opponent speech. When considering strategy, look closely at some of these questions. Has the speaker effectively developed their opponent's uh, case? Sorry, has the speaker effectively disproved their opponent's case? Consider the use of points of information, matter prioritization, structure of their speeches. Look out for obvious unfair strategic tactics such as unfair motions, badgering, strawmanning, um, trying to block out um, opening government, and so on and so forth. You know, look out for that and let that reflect in your judgment and don't babysit teams, right? Note the effect of strategic tools on the debate and award and penalize those teams fairly. Do not try to, you know, and there are times, as a judge, there are times in a debate room that um, you see a team that are really struggling. They really have good points. But those points are underanalyzed. It is not your job to complete those arguments for them. If they left those arguments underanalyzed, so be it. Judge those arguments as underanalyzed and tell them this is why I felt sad. I've had that times, those times personally. I'm in a room and a, a team that is doing poorly, you know, they, they excite me with their speech. They are doing poorly, but they, they, they know the central issues, but they are not engaging, you know, full-time on them. And I, I understand those issues they are trying to say, but they have not said it to the point where every other person will understand it to that extent. You know, I'm getting ahead of myself, my comprehension in trying to, you know, be the good judge, you know, take better notes. I'm, I'm projecting their speech in a further scope. And it is bringing me to that point where I'm almost at a bias. What I do is I stop that entire process and I say, listen, this is what was given. And this is the farthest that what was given could be interpreted to. And that is where I will stop my crediting. So even when I'm giving the judgment and someone is like, oh, you know, they talked about this, 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 and the person builds the entire castle. I'm like, yes, this is what they were trying to point out. But see what they said and see the point they, at which they said it to. If we go further that way, we will be crediting these teams to the disadvantage of other teams whom we are not trying to complete for. So instead of being on anybody's side, be on nobody's side. Okay? Try to deliver your rankings effectively. And by being effective, it means being at that point where you do not put or you do not find the pressure of having to babysit teams by completing their ideas. So now I'm going to go to a quiz. Quiz, 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 quiz. We've come to the end of an uh, introduction to adjudication. You could call this Adjudication 101, Episode 6, Season 1 of Debates from Scratch. I'm so excited we've done this. I'm going to give you some quiz, as I usually do at the end of each of my classes. Something that I would advise you to go further and study, go further and, you know, investigate uh it will probe your mind it will remind you of what we've done in class and it will ensure that you engage with debate one other day before next week so one what is the role of the adjudicator okay two what comprises 
oral adjudication? And three, what should be the behavior of an adjudicator during a debate? So those are the three questions for today. Thank you very, very much. We've come to the end of uh, this podcast and this class. I'm going to be available for taking questions right now. So if you have any questions, feel free to unmute your mic. I know I did not take questions within my speech. I did that for a reason. Adjudication is broad and being able to chunk it down to little bits like this require a logical flow in translating that same meaning to you. And that is why you see me um, allowing myself to finish before I take questions. So today's class is a bit different, but feel free to ask me your questions now as I'll be available to take them instantly. Questions? Oh, can you hear me? What? Yeah, you. Yeah. I could hear. Um. Okay, technical director. Can you hear me, technical director? Okay, good. Good, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. All right, so I want to ask a question. Okay, go on. Uh, so, I was the last tournament, I was a judge in one tournament like that this year. Um, I, I, I had difficulty at some point. I was at round. I was the chief adjudicator, so I had difficulties. One, hearing what some speakers were saying because some of them were quite fast for me to articulate what they were saying, and and sometimes um, I'm a bit. I don't know. I don't get much of what they say, and then it affects my note-taking as well. Because since I can't get what they are saying, I'm not able to get you know, write down something that can help me, you know, bring out my rankings and all that. So, how do I tackle speakers who speak fast? How am I able to... And then another question is, how do I, you know, get... Uh, how do I weigh issues in the debates? How do I know which one has more, you know, has more, uh, more, which, how do I know which issue that is more relevant than the other, something like that, especially when there is this clash, that, this close clash between teams in the debate. Okay, that's great. Um, nice questions. questions. I'm going to start from the top. Your first question was, what speakers are so fast and you can't really hear them? How do you cope with that? Um, there, there could be two reasons why a speaker is fast. One, the speaker might be very nervous or trying to cover 
very nervous in trying to cover lots of material. In that case, the speaker will speak very, very fast. The second reason could be that um, the speaker is not from your locality. And this is the British parliamentary debate is a standard world university debate format. So even debates on regional levels have people participating from different countries, right? So it is um, the accent of different countries may unsettle your listening. For that, solution to it is try your best to always listen wide, listen to materials, audios from people of different countries, your ears to pick up English from um, someone who is not a native speaker. So you, you, speak, you pick up English with the rules of other people's language, because that's what accent really is. It's speaking other people's language with the rules of your own language. That is why you have accents in the first place. So when it's an accent, there isn't much you can do, but um, apart from making sure you train yourself to um, pick up those accents. But also one thing you could do inside class, this case is whether it's an accent or the person is rushing and so on. As a chair, you have the right to interrupt the person as early as possible and say, listen, you're very fast. I'm having difficulties hearing you. I really want to credit you for your work. So I don't want to be left in the dark. If you could kindly speak naturally and clearly without pausing or speak, you know, in a calmer manner, it will be make it easy for me to follow you helps if you tell people who have English as second language be aware that you know the central difference in in the region it will be tougher for them to be understood so it serves them in their best interest to slow down for you to pick up pace but again I think what helps you develop on a personal level beyond that is exposing yourself to materials from different cultures from different and uh, debates, BP debates allows you to do that, it encourage you strongly to do that. Because there is, apart from the debate itself, there's cult cultural integration that goes on um, and so on and so forth. So uh, I hope that answers like the first question. The question is, how do you weigh issues, especially when two teams are waiting in on the same? Uh, I remember that last week I had a conversation with... Um, man at the shop where I went to pick up something and I told him uh, we've been trained in society to choose between a good door and a bad door right to choose between a good opportunity and a bad opportunity but sometimes nothing really prepares us to choose between two equally good opportunities right I think that's like that's the same dilemma you're facing how do you choose between two equally good teams in separating their material in waiting in on the shoe I will not say it is extremely simple but it helps for you to know what that is. And sometimes you go down to which team persuaded you the most. To bring it down to mathematical accuracy, it's not just saying, ah, oh, this team persuaded me the most, so I gave it to them. No. You say, this is why this team persuaded me the most. And most likely, what should follow should be showing which team brought about the issue with much less doubt. So which team was the most believable? For instance, if team A finished speaking and there were certain doubts you had about um, the material, you know, certain unanswered questions in your mind, and team B spoke and answered 
the bulk of the question and there were no unanswered question in your mind. He said, okay, lift him B because when you finish speaking, this was the question that was plaguing me, right? So how does to the debate? How does this matter to, you know, so-so and so person? How does this solve this issue? We felt that, but these guys did sufficiently clear their side of doubt. So if you use the doubt metric, you could, um, you could achieve it. It's not like, it's, it's not like a rock-solid um, metric because critics argue that this metric um, takes into account your, um, uh, uses your ignorance as a metric to account specialized knowledge. Willing to say that when two teams are equally good, it means that you know both yourself and these two teams have specialized knowledge on this particular issue. So you weighing in on that knowledge and saying, "Oh, listen, okay, this is what you did, right?" Um, so at this point, I was confused. I mean, who do I prioritize over this issue? Who wins this issue? So I decided to go back to the issue. What was this issue about? So which team spoke mostly to the heart of this issue? And I believe it's Team B. You know, in the way that they did this, did that, did the other one. Your issue, you spoke to the heart of this issue as well, but you were deficient in this, this, this. Or you were deficient in just this. So I could not credit you in good conscience knowing that that was the case. It is my job to separate teams. And so this was the metric in which I employed. When you do it that way and you clearly, because I think whenever, and that is where the problem usually comes in, when teams feel that they are very close in the debate, you need to spend more time in justifying what extent did this person get to and why the other person went, um, and what the other person did that went beyond that extent for you. So that's another way to clarify. So I think like, like if, 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 you, if you're cool with this, I think this answers both your questions. What do you think? Does this answer your questions? I think the second one, the first one was answered, but then the second one, the way you answered it, it turned. It, I was thinking, is it, is it now, like when you have two teams that are so good and they are bringing, you know, good arguments, and it it, it tempts you to kind of, like, especially when you yourself know about the topic, about the emotion. It helps you to kind of bring in your own ideas into it because you want to separate the teams. But then again, you talked earlier that you need to, you when you are judging a debate, you don't bring in your own knowledge into the debate, right? Something like you don't you know, bring in what you already know. You bring in what has been discussed in the motion, right? So at that point, is it is it now a good idea for you to now bring in your specialized knowledge? of what you already know about the motion. Okay. So to answer that question simply, right, to answer it simply on the basic level, do not bring in specialized knowledge. In fact, the best thing to do, okay, the best thing to do is instead of bringing specialized knowledge that was not raised, because that's the problem with specialized knowledge. It's not that specialized knowledge is bad in debate. It's that if you have specialized knowledge that was not raised in the debate, okay, then you cannot talk about it. Then you can't bring it up. That's, that's illegal material. It wasn't introduced in the debate. You don't get introduced as an, as an adjudicator because no one speaks after you in the debate, so no one's going to rebut you. But what I think you could do is you could say to yourself, assuming that I knew nothing about this, which team would have persuaded me the most and why would I be persuaded by that team? That helps. When two teams are equally good, look for the team that persuades you the most based on if you knew nothing. Is why judges are, are, are always advised to have a tabula rasa mindset or at least the mindset of an intelligent voter, right, while judging a debate. So it means that there are some truths that you can hold as sacred. These are very basic truths. Uh, and then there are some truths 
that you know are privileged truths that only certain people in certain fields would know and that knowledge if it's not introduced by any speaker in the speech is not yours to introduce does this now answer your question 